Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy who doesn't have all the answers. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And we're going to talk about the idea that there we used to know it all. Uh, <laughs> we used to be right. We used to be ready to argue to the death about certain topics, ideas, concepts, theories, beliefs, and how some of them don't we don't even believe anymore. Not much less the fact that we won't argue about them to the death, but we don't even believe them. Yeah, not only do I not believe them, but I feel like it was terrible things, terrible advice, <laughs> terrible opinions that I shared with people that, you know, would have would have taken to the grave. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Uh so before we get into that, I do want to say we have a contact form on our website recoverysortof.com. Uh, and usually we get people trying to sell us like, hey, pay us some money and we'll improve your your search engine optimization or SEO, as you will, or we'll make your Google results on page one and all that good stuff. And I, you know, obviously ignore most of that because I'm not paying anybody because I'm cheap. Um, but we, we got one this week that was interesting. It's from Estelle and it says, Estelle sent you one nude pic. She's online and very horny right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. like, ah. Thanks, Estelle. <laughs> yeah. So we just click there to chat with her apparently. Uh, Sex Lovers Club is the website. No, thanks. Thanks, Estelle, but no thanks. Um, so yeah, getting into this idea. Billy, Billy brought this to my attention the other day. And I think the hardest part of talking about this is trying to remember all the crazy dumb shit I used to say, because it's like, once you don't believe it anymore, you don't even remember that that was part of you. I know my wife will tell me about things. So we'll have a conversation now and I'll be like understanding and accepting and like, well, now I, I don't know that that's true. We shouldn't be so harsh on our kids. We should do it this way. And she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, you used to run around here telling me this. Like, I, I do think at some point I probably told her college was stupid because she had some degrees and I didn't. And uh, <laughs> right. and now I got a degree and I, and I talk about that degree and she's like, well, what the hell? You used to tell me college was dumb. Right. And I noticed, I guess I've noticed in hitting some different, uh, We've been to some conventions lately and some speaker jams and you hear a myriad of speakers, you know, from different areas and different phases, I guess you'd say, in recovery or places in recovery. And, and there are one of the benefits of being in an autonomous 12-step fellowship is that there are all these opinions and things that people share, but some of them are kind of dangerous, you know what I mean? Yeah. And some of them are, are like, say, just, just bad advice. And I have recognized, like, oh, yeah, I used to say, and, <laughs> whole, you know, when I said it, I really thought that I was saying it to help someone or save someone's life right. or, you know, guide them in the right direction. Like, you know, I really believe that it was the right way to think and the right information to give and now i'm like oof that is so dangerous like it really <laughs> is bad advice yeah i've given out a, a lot of opinions as facts uh, as an na sponsor i believe especially you know 
I wouldn't say long ago, but at least previously, I, I don't do that as often now, even though we were told like, Hey, you just give your experience. If you don't have experience, you don't say anything. And I, I don't, I, I shared other people's experience yeah. sometimes and, and that was, I heard that was what I was thinking of is like, I'm sharing about shit. I have no experience with. And now that I've gotten in a place where I've had some experience, my opinion is completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so that's interesting. And, and we talked a little bit right before we started this, the idea that like these people, these strong recovery people that we used to kind of look up to, I, I again, I know Nazis is a terrible word, but they were always called NA Nazis when I got here. I guess NA police maybe is the more, I guess that's more politically correct, but maybe not. Cause. Well, I always thought they were the, pe and I never took them to be the old timers. I always thought they were the people with the couple of years clean that were here to like police and save the fellowship, you know what I mean? To keep everybody in line. And I mean, that was my experience. And it was the old timers uh. that were like, you got this all wrong. Now, <laughs> see, I always felt like there was uh, an old timer or two somewhere that had these opinions, right? And they, they were like the uh, the NA soldier, right? And 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 they would start like these, you know, platoons of people. Like they'd get all these sponsees, and they'd be giving this information out, and like them and like six sponsees would go into a meeting, and then pull the home group up after the meeting and tell them how they're doing it wrong or they're breaking hmm. traditions, or that's the kind of shit I saw in Baltimore. Yeah, <laughs> like, and so I don't think the guy with a a little bit of time clean or a couple years clean or whatever it is like i fell into that because the people i, I want to say above me i know that's not how it really works but that's what it felt like the people above me that's what they were saying so you know i had to get the information from somewhere i didn't know nothing about traditions with six months clean but hell if i wasn't running around talking about how people were doing it wrong after the meeting because yeah. i heard it <laughs> and i guess i've always been a somewhat of an intellectual person with strong opinions so mm. i've always had that <laughs> that's nothing new that's uh, that's just uneducated opinions because i think i'm smart <laughs> so I, I mean one of the first things that comes to mind when you bring this up I, I thought na was right for everybody and like the only way to get clean I, I thought that was it like when you if you've had a drug problem like i had right and you used all day every day and did crazy things to get the money for that there wasn't any other way to stop that or get any other different life or, or what I would call now recovery. I, at that point in time, I didn't even call anything else recovery, but none of that was possible without this 12-step program. That was the only way it worked. Yeah, and I have a slight variation of that. I thought that NA or, or you know, this fellowship was the only one that dealt with addiction. Like, you know, these other ones dealt with symptoms and and minor things but if you wanted to you know that what is it one disease one program right. or it was more that line of thinking not necessarily that these other ones didn't work but if you went to them you would have to go to like 10 fellowships because you'd have to go to a fellowship for each one of those symptoms whereas we were the fellowship that you know and a was the fellowship everything. that just fixed everything you know dealt with everything so i don't even know i'm trying to think like when i first got here i didn't even know about these other places like i knew aa but i didn't know of any other 12-step i did one of my rehabs we went to a couple different a fellowships like what oh there was i want to say it was like csa which was chemically or cda chemically substances? dependence anonymous something like uh. that um and I had heard of like Gamblers Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous. Like I'd heard of those things. Hmm. 
That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I didn't even know about that. I just thought like if you had drug problems, you, there wasn't any other way. Like this was it. You either got this or you kept not getting this until you got this. <laughs> yeah. Or you died. Like that was it. That was your three options. Um, and yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I didn't even think there was other places to go to like that's an interesting take on it that like oh i can do a piecemeal or i can do it all in one place right so i remember going back to this you know one disease one program idea that was a strong opinion in my sponsorship family originally like yeah why would you go anywhere else we deal with everything here we (laughs) we can the steps work on all of it it's not just the drug use it's everything and then i remember going to therapy with like 10 years clean and this lady had like 30 years and she was a therapist and she said that this whole idea that that na is king is a very baltimore location-based idea and i found that kind of fascinating she was like look i'm from a place in new york and the na opinion up there is that if one 12-step program is good many 12-step programs are better and i was like really (laughs) right (laughs) blew my mind uh to think that people thought other ways and and like that was one of the ways and look maybe she made that shit up i don't know but it convinced (laughs) me to go to other programs right and then from going to other programs i found holy fuck these are really beneficial like there's a lot to be gained here that i don't feel like i can get from the narcotics anonymous program itself and some of that might just be the fact that I can share about particular manifestations uh, of obsession and compulsion or, you know, whatever we would like to call that. I hate to say defects of character, but like coping mechanisms, defense mechanisms, whatever you'd like to call it. Like I'm, I'm using these things to cover up something else in my belief now. Um, and so these other places gave me room to talk about that where there was room for that. Like I, I don't, not that you can't or I can't go into a, a, a drug-focused recovery meeting and talk about, you know, obsessing over sex or obsessing over food or gambling. I, I think there's room to talk a little bit about it. But if that's all I go in and talk about and that's my main issue, one, I feel like there's going to be a lot more shame there because maybe not everybody struggles with the same kind of issue and they might judge me for it. But two, that newer person that needs to come in and hear how people got off of crack or heroin they're gonna say god all they talked about was fucking obsessive masturbation in this (laughs) na program like uh, that's so i don't feel like it's appropriate all the time i feel like these other places are good for that and then there's also just more specific like i don't know that i could have got the suggestions that i got outside of na about other types of behaviors from people in NA that either have or haven't struggled with it, but they're like more specific ideas about how to tackle some of these other behaviors than I think anyone or most people in NA would be able to give you. Yeah, I used to really kind of, I'll say push the idea that NA could fix all these issues for you. If it wasn't working, it was because you were doing something wrong or not yes willing in those areas you know what i mean but but it could and i don't know that i 100 percent disagree with that now um what i would say is i wasn't recognizing that therapeutic value of someone with a similar Mm -hmm. issues you know what i mean like i haven't ever struggled with food i don't know what that means and it's very easy for me to like diminish that and be like oh it's not the same but you know, I I can't relate to a person that has that struggle. And with like food or sex, 
Like those are things that, at least for most people, I mean, food, you can't give up food for the rest of your life. Like abstinence isn't uh, uh, the goal. Like right. it can't be the goal. It's management. And I was too naive to recognize, I think, that, you know, there's a big difference between a program that helps you manage something and a program that just says, well, just don't do these things and let's manage your thoughts and ideas around it. Mm. Like, you know, and then, hey, we just stop. You just stop using and that's where it starts. But with yeah. food or sex, you're, that's not necessarily the goal. <laughs> right, right. And and I this might offend some people, but and I don't know that I hold this opinion entirely now, but I remember when I first went to some of these other programs, what I thought about was something similar to that, right? Like when you're talking about food, and, and at least in my life, when you're talking about sex, because I'm not talking about giving it up forever, right. that's for sure. The idea of recovery is a healthy relationship with food or a healthy relationship with sex. It's not to give it up, right? And, and that idea of having, I was like, well, why doesn't that apply in NA, right? Well, I don't know that we can have a healthy relationship with drugs. That's that's an interesting concept. But I, my my original thought was, well, God, this seems not only harder, but like bigger, like to the concept of changing internally enough to have a healthy relationship with something I used to struggle with, as opposed to, like you said, just giving it up. Not that I'm trying to minimize it. Giving it up was hard. Giving up drugs was difficult. But can you imagine if, if the concept was trying to change to have a healthy relationship with drugs? Like that seems way more difficult. Right. And so I was like, damn, these, these are kind of harder than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't know that I have that opinion now, but it, it was an interesting thought to think that like, NA might be the easier of the of the other programs because yeah you just stop like that seems way easier than trying to continue the behavior and adjust the way you deal with right, it trying to manage it yeah and, and that multiple fellowships like that's kind of what prompted this idea of talking about this stuff with me so I had always been I mean gosh and and I hadn't really thought about it in the last couple of years but I would always say at least early in my recovery I sponsored some people that had went to multiple fellowships or, you know, would go to, you know, more than just NA. And I would always say, well, that's fine, but you can only have one sponsor. You can't have different sponsors in all these different <laughs> fellowships, meaning me, I had to be your sponsor <laughs> and I wasn't going to be usurped by any of these other people. As, I mean, I recognize that now. It didn't feel like it then. It felt like that was the right thing to say. But one, I had no experience with that, I never went to any other fellowships. I just, you know, I went to a few AA meetings, a few NA meetings. I felt more comfortable in NA, and that's where I've been ever since. I don't know that I've even ever, I mean, other than outside of, like, treatment, I don't know that I've ever even attended other 12-step fellowship meetings. But yet, I would tell you that you should not get a sponsor. Oh, yeah, go to SAA or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. SLA. and and But I'll be your sponsor. You don't need a sponsor over there, too. And yeah, and now I'm like, that is the worst fucking advice you could ever give anyone, I think, <laughs> because like I've recently have looked at some other fellowships and been like, oh, this 12 step fellowship could be beneficial to me in my life and where I'm at right now. And I thought, well, if I wanted to work those steps, I would have to get a sponsor in that fellowship <laughs> to work those steps, because my sponsor that's over here, like he doesn't have that experience with you know right right what the fuck's he, he gonna, gonna tell you? me about that you know and 
it's just interesting. It was like, wow, that is really poor information that I probably <laughs> gave to some guys that I sponsored thinking wholeheartedly that it was the right thing to do, that they would be confused or get contradictory information and, right. you know, that I was the one responsible to save their life. <laughs> so interestingly, uh, I don't know that anybody specifically said that to me because nobody said you're allowed to go to other fellowships at all. <laughs> But when I did take my therapist's suggestion and went to these other fellowships, I felt the same idea, which maybe was still holding on to this idea that like, okay, maybe NA is not the end all be all in general of programs, but I still just need a sponsor that's there. So right. what I was looking for was a sponsor that was in NA and also in these other fellowships that I was in. <laughs> I wanted somebody, I still wanted one sponsor, right? This idea that this right. one sponsor idea, like, oh, I just need one person that has all this for me, which is crazy because if you talk about like getting in a relationship with, with a partner, like a romantic relationship, you say, don't put the expectation that this one person can provide all your needs or meet all your needs, right? right? Like you'd say, that's the most unhealthy thing ever. You'd say, oh yeah, have your partner, but then also have these friends that meet different needs that you have. So why would we think that one sponsor could meet all these needs of all these different things or that one person is going to match up so well with us? They also attend Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous and Al-Anon and ACOA because they have the exact brand of problem I have, <laughs> right. right? And I mean, that gets back to we did all those episodes on steps. You know, we went through and talked about all the steps. And I, like now, and I mean, that was what, a year ago? Yeah. Like it wasn't that long. This isn't that long ago. So I'm going to throw myself under the bus here and be like, probably even back then, I really kind of was like, ah, the steps are all the same. It, you change a few words here and there when you go to these different fellowships, but they're all the same. And I don't know that I hold that belief today. Like I feel like, yeah, you change a few words, but there's some big concepts there and, and big, you know, again, I'm going to use the word defects of character and behavior traits and, mm. and ideas and beliefs that are, you know, mired within that, that set, that's what makes the need for that other fellowship. That's what makes, creates the need for that few changes of a few words right. is that, you know, those fellowships, yeah, the general concepts are the same, but there are some more specific, you know, applications of those ideas and principles that are unique to each fellowship. Well, and to think about some of the things I've heard, and I don't know that I remember specifically, like I did go to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting at one point and like the tips and tricks, so to speak, right? Like, like if we were talking about, hey, how not to get high, well, you know, avoid uh, people you used to hang out with, you know, try to eliminate these triggers from your life around getting high, which is great. But when you go to Overeaters Anonymous, like, I don't know that many people in NA have come to the idea that like, hey, these are the thing practices you put in place when you go to the grocery store to avoid buying these certain foods that you know are trigger foods for you, or this is how you... Uh, you know, manage to portion them out in your house or hide them or keep them at a friend's house. Like the, the other ideas of like how to eat healthier, right? I don't know that NA has a lot of those ideas. Right. Or, you know, going to, to 
one of the uh, sex addiction programs and having them lay it out as this idea of the three circles, right? Where the inner circle is the acting out behaviors, but then there's also this middle circle of like slippery slope behaviors that can be questionable. And you might want to also try to stay outside of that. And, and then maybe the ultimate goal is to be in this outer circle of like these positive behaviors, like, oh, you like playing drums and guitar? And you never did that while you were, you know, masturbating too much or spending too much time online looking at porn. Well, maybe we should change the focus to like playing guitar and drums again, <laughs> right. right? Like focusing on how much time you spend. Like, I just think there's other concepts and ways or people that say, oh, you like nobody in NA was going to give me the idea. Hey, if you look at porn too much, you should get like a, a lockdown blocker browser, you know, where it's like a passcode that your partner only has and not you so that you can't use it for that. Like... That's something you find in a different fellowship where yeah. they've dealt with that. And I will say there there are probably individuals within, you know, NA that have had that experience that have, that have that information, right. but it's just not what's commonly talked about or commonly shared or right. like openly discussed in meetings. And then almost like you mentioned, like if that does become the topic of the meeting, then you're going to have people that don't identify. So, you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> right. It, it is. It just explains why we have a need for some of these other places and why it's good to maybe I shouldn't say good. Why it may be better, at least for me, to encourage people like, hey, are you struggling with that? Maybe you should look at some help in those areas. Like I don't have that information. I can't just tell you, you know. What I want to say is, well, let's dig into your fifth and sixth step and we'll figure <laughs> out why you keep doing that all the right. time. Like, I don't have that experience, so I don't know that that's true. <laughs> and and I almost think, at least I guess my opinion at this point would be, like, if the, look into other fellowships and just check them out. Even Maybe you're not even thinking you have a specific problem, and I get it. It's hard to get motivated to go do something about a problem you don't even think you have, but like... <laughs> I remember walking into an Al-Anon meeting and thinking, holy fuck, where has this been all my life? <laughs> like, right. it was such valuable information about acceptance and and ability to interact with other people in my life and a nice view of, you know, you talk about doing an eighth and ninth step. You want a, a good picture of what your eighth and ninth step and what you did and to harm people? Go to an Al-Anon meeting and hear about all the people that are being harmed by other people, right? Or right. Naranon, like... It's a whole different view of like, holy shit, uh, you know. Right, you might become aware of some harms you didn't even know you were causing to people. Exactly. You know, things that they're thinking of being on the other side of the. Exactly, you know. right. There's a lot of good information out there that I feel like all we have to do is just set ourselves up in a good position and we'll hear it. Like, I, I didn't need to be struggling with anything in particular to go to Al-Anon and be like, oh, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> like, I yeah. just kind of checked it out. Because and of, of course, that is one of the principles of our fellowship is is open-mindedness. And I, I will say, like, these ideas of, you know, one disease, one fellowship, and don't go anywhere else, like, those things aren't in our literature. And they aren't, you know, it. it Actually, in my opinion, if you read it carefully, it encourages, you know, going to outside places for outside things, you know, like we're a program of addiction and recovery from drug addiction. And that's what we do here. And that it's like the 12 step process is amazing. Like it really mm -hmm. is amazing. And it can be used to treat so many different things. You know, it's really a, a, an interesting 
introspective, you know, thing to to go through, and you can apply it into so many different areas. I think the wording in one of our readings where it says medicine, religion, and psychiatry were not sufficient for us. I think we've twisted that. Instead of being like, oh, hey, medicine, religion, and psychiatry are great and beneficial for your life, they just weren't quite enough, and we needed a little something extra. I feel like when I hear that, or at least when I've heard that previously, it has meant fuck medicine, religion, and psychiatry. Right. They, they don't it. work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, you know, we've perversely twisted that to, to be that you shouldn't do these things. Like yes. outside help is like a negative, right? You don't need outside help. We do it all here. And it's that's very cultish. <laughs> right. All right. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. So it's funny, one of these interesting beliefs that I've heard from other therapists is that people who come to couples counseling, right? Generally, when you come to couples counseling, you're not in a good place. <laughs> like you're, you're struggling as a couple and, you know, probably a good portion of the time that's not going to work out by that point. Um, but they had said that they had seen over their years and not often, but a couple of times they've had couples that are new couples come to them to get ideas about how to be a healthy couple before they really embarked on the journey right. of coupleship or whatever. And I, they were like, that is always an, an incredible experience to work with them because they are people who are just here to learn how to be a healthy couple. And yeah. I was like, fuck. And I was thinking about that and the idea of like sex and love addicts anonymous. Right. And, and how a lot of that is based around like, what kind of red flags to look for when you're getting into relationships, like when you're wound rubbing with other people just to connect over, you know, traumas, uh, ideas of like how to be healthy and not follow into these attachment styles that we, we grow up with with our parents and not reenact those unhealthy behaviors we saw, like all these really positive pieces of information. But I feel like people only go to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous when they're like at a at some sort of bottom or, right. or a really terrible place. And I'm like, how many fucking newcomers or, or any, even old timers, I could probably still use it too, but how many of us in a drug recovery program really could use relationship or healthy relationship suggestions right. and how much could we gain from going somewhere like that before we even start dating yeah well and a lot of people you know relationships become an issue after they get clean like they in using using was the big problem when right. i put a quote-unquote band-aid on that when you're in a you know recovery or treatment program but then relationships pops up as the next huge issue yeah it fills the void it feels it makes you feel whole for a little while or happier or better or completes you right you complete me oh that's a terrible thing <laughs> right. uh so yeah i i think definitely you know there's a lot around those ideas that i have said to people and that i've believed for sure that i do not believe anymore um i used to believe that if and, and you've said this a few times on here that if people just work the program like i do 
either they would get what I got or they would be well off. Right. One of those two. And I don't think either of them are true anymore. I agree 100%. I don't agree with that either. <laughs> yeah, people should definitely not work the program I work. Like, yeah. That is ugly at times. Oh, you could do it way better, for one, than yes. I did, because I took an awfully long time that I didn't need to take, so I would recommend that you do it better than me, <laughs> you know, now. <laughs> like, don't procrastinate, don't put it off, you know, just dig in, start doing some work, it really is beneficial. But then, like I've learned over the years that I don't believe the role of a sponsor is to teach you what to believe, I believe the role of a sponsor is, I think like you've described like in therapy, like it's to help the person figure out what their beliefs and goals and, and all that stuff is. I don't want a bunch of little minion mini-me's running around. Christ, I used I, to. I, I used to. I used to think, <laughs> well, and again, it wasn't for me at that time, it wasn't based out of ego. As, I mean, I didn't recognize it as that. Right. It was based out of, hey, look how great I'm doing compared to where I was. You can be doing this great too if you just do these things. And I wanted to give people this sense of freedom and this sense of, you know, um, uh, this newfound life that I had found and was convinced if you just did it what I did, you would get it too. And right. that's not necessarily the case <laughs> and yet i feel like we still say that if you if you want what i have do what i do and i don't know that if you do what i do you get what i have like you might need some other sh so right. to, to look at this from a really morbid i guess place i i tend to think that drugs saved my life in a way right i tend to think that without them i would have ended up some serious self-harm or, or something else like i just did not feel able to tolerate life without the use of drugs it just didn't seem worth it and so i i will say you know if i had told somebody hey you just got to stay clean no matter what no matter what might have been them taking their life like they might not have been in a place where they were ready to tolerate life without the use of something to ease the pain we'll say right so like just doing what I did, like you could have just stopped using drugs and held on for dear life, but maybe that doesn't have this happy ending we always think it does. Like, oh, well, he white knuckled through it and eventually he got it. Oh, maybe not. Maybe they didn't get it. Maybe they ain't here no more because they followed this path that I thought was the way to go. Like, and I know that's an extreme example and maybe everybody doesn't share that belief, but I think that's a possibility. Yeah. And it, I guess for me, that falls into a lot of like, the harm reduction ideas and things around that. It's like I used to think that the only true out for a using addict was abstinence. And I don't think I believe that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I think that that's what we do, at least in Narcotics Anonymous. And I think that that's the right path for people that choose to be in Narcotics Anonymous. Like I would can make that argument. But I don't know that that's the right path for every person that abstinence is the only true answer to your addiction problem you right. know for some people it may be different types of medication whether that's a you know uh, uh, mat or whatever or maybe psychedelic medications or smoking pot you know i don't know right. i what i know is i hope that you find a way out of whatever hell that you're in mm. that you can get your life to a place that it's a life that you want to have, you know, a life that, you know, you're enjoying and having good experiences in, like, and that may not be abstinence-based. Right. Or, or it may not be abstinence-based now. Like, right. Whatever, whatever you can do to better your life today. 
right. anything that makes it better today. It's too short to wait till, well, I'll just keep doing this shit that's miserable for five more years and then I'll get like, no, if you got anything that can be better today, do that. Um, and, and I guess in our literature, I thought back to what what the, the wording that I hear that we read says, uh, if you want what we have to offer and are willing to make the effort to get it, it doesn't say, and you do what we do. <laughs> like, it says you're willing to make the effort to get mm. it, you know, and it's maybe that effort is a different effort. effort. Yeah. Different than what my effort was, or maybe you need a little more, or a little less. I don't know. Right. Right. Like uh, I could uh, somebody says, oh man, I want the life you have. I want, you know, a nice job, whatever, but maybe like uh, our jobs, right? We, I think we both feel successful in our work life for the most part and, and feel like we make not, we're not rich by any means, but we make enough money to like provide for our families or I hate to use that word, not provide for our families, but just to live a comfortable life, right? It, it, we take vacations, we do things. I think we're both pretty happy with that. We have very different paths of getting there, right? right? Like, I mean, I, I ended up doing some other shit and then going to college later in life and then doing that. And like, you didn't go to college, correct? No. Right. And, and so like, if you, if one of us would have told the other that we were doing it wrong, like, no, in order to get this <laughs> amount of money and be comfortable in life, you have to go to college or you don't have to go like that. We did two totally different things. We put in similar efforts, I think, right. but different ways and different paths. And, and I don't know that each other's path would have worked for each other. Yeah. And who's to say like, why should I want to limit a sponsee's growth to my limited growth? You know what I mean? Like maybe I can help them to grow beyond what I have. And that would be great. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. That would, like, Hey, maybe don't do what I did. Maybe do some more shit. Maybe, <laughs> you know what I mean, like try a little harder. I tend to be procrastinating and shit. <laughs> right. Right. You know, uh, so he <laughs> here's one that I think, uh, bothers me because I still feel like a lot of the things we say and ideas we have around this, when I say we, uh, the people that I hear talk about it or some of the sayings or cliches that we have, but this idea of not staying clean is some personal failure or lacking or something that people did, right? That this, when we say like, uh, well, you can't stay clean because you just haven't worked the steps. Like, are you, you you in denial that you need to work the steps, or you won't pick up the steps, and that's why you keep relapsing? Or, you know, what when somebody passes away, like, well, he just he just wouldn't surrender or whatever. Like, that just seems like a very point the finger shaming statement towards people, and I I don't necessarily believe that at all anymore. Like, that is far from my truth. And interestingly, I don't know that i ever believed that so much i mean i definitely believe that anyone could get it if they would be absent and although telling them like what Do i used to that? ask a lot of people you know when they can't well I, I guess when i say absent i don't necessarily mean forever i mean that you can come in and stop using for a short period of time and then figure out which i don't know how much work and you may know this from a therapy this might be getting a little off this, but I don't know how much work you can do on yourself when you're still heavily using illegal drugs. Like mm. how much, how much growth and insight can you get? I mean, maybe a little bit, Probably but I, it's going to be hard. <laughs> so I do think at some point you need to stop using, you know, drugs on a daily basis to try to figure out what work you need to get into. Whether you can ob obtain that long term is different. But anyway. I used to say to people that 
relapsed a lot or that would come in and out a lot. Like one of the things I would say, so, you know, what, what happened last time? Like what took you out and what do you want to do different this time? Mm -hmm. You know, like that is really what, was it a girl? Was it a job? Was it not working? Like, I don't know. You know better than me what you did or didn't do. I don't fucking know what you did or didn't do. You know, it takes some self-honesty to be able to figure out that change. So so that's fascinating in some ways. Uh, trying to think. So there, there's no agreed upon therapy stance on any of this, right? right. There's a <laughs> lot of different therapy theories. Uh, I, I would say, honestly, the most informed and best therapist will probably tell you when they say, when you ask how does therapy work, they probably say, I don't fucking know because <laughs> right. that's kind of the truth. We don't completely right. know. Right. But like just looking at the polyvagal theory that we talked about, like they say that there's no growth from a nervous system that's in survival mode. So once your body, you know, cues danger from the environment, even if you don't know that because it's a subconscious thing you go into survival mode and your prefrontal cortex where all your higher level thinking and meaning making all that shuts the fuck off. So there's no growth there. So generally like our first jobs as therapists is to bring people inside this window of tolerance to, to get them in a nervous system state where it's possible to think and reevaluate their life. So I, I would say on drugs, there's probably not a whole lot of prefrontal cortex action going on right. either, at least on a lot of drugs. Uh, Maybe some of the psychedelics I think we're learning are a little bit different. They actually kind of activate or engage that higher level thinking in a different way. Um, but I, I don't know that just being abstinent actually does that, right? Because if you're using drugs to feel safer and more at ease in your body and just taking them away is just going to put you in a, in a nervous system or, or a bodily state of dysregulation at all times. And so there's definitely not going to be any growth there either. So I, I guess that's where learning some of these, uh, some of the therapy research, psychological research that we have, uh, it kind of contradicts some of my old beliefs in some ways. Like I don't just think that you need to just get clean and then it'll all somehow be figured out. Like I'm right. not sure about that. We talk about the idea. I used to tell people, like, don't get in relationships. Well, that's where you keep fucking up. You keep coming around here. You keep getting a girl. You keep getting a nice car. And then you're out the door again, right? But honestly, what if they're not going to... What if it's not possible for them to tolerate life without this girl to bring some sort of... Or this partner to bring some sort of ease and comfort to them? And hopefully while they're in that place of being more regulated because of this partnership, maybe then they can grow. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that if you've come around and gotten a girl and relapsed 14 times, that it's actually going to work the 15th time if you don't get the girl. Like, I don't believe that. I think you might actually, your body might need something to bring a state of regulation. And then hopefully you can do that long enough to grow and learn more about yourself. Yeah, and I guess my reasoning for asking the question is based in that it's like what what prevented you from working on yourself and growing before you know was it a girl or was it not and that's where i guess the self-honesty piece comes in like did you get in a relationship and then be like oh fuck it i'm not doing anything anymore i'm good like now i'm fine because i have this relationship or did you because i am a person that got in a relationship and it's worked out fine and it didn't you know i, I don't know how it affected my recovery 
Maybe I needed it, maybe I didn't, but I didn't stay out of a relationship and it worked out okay for me. So I don't ever tell anybody not to get in a relationship, but I do tell them you got to look at your patterns. You know what I mean? You got to look at your patterns and what you're doing and try to, if you keep fucking up, then you got to try to do something different. <laughs> well, well, that brings us to a, another one that came to my mind that I don't really buy into our definition of insanity at all times. Hmm. To keep doing the same things and expect different results. I don't know that that's always the wrong information. I mean, if you put in five job applications, what do you just stop putting them in? Because why <laughs> expect something different from the sixth one? Like that's not how that works. Yeah. What well, do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I, that's a pretty general. Like I've never loved that either. It's it's only partially fitting for insanity. I mean, because I've heard them people say, "Oh, insanity's you know." doing something and knowing what the results are going to be and then doing it anyway. You know, right. I've done that kind of shit too. Like I know if I call out of work 10 times, I'm going to probably get fired <laughs> and then I do it anyway, you know, because <laughs> I'm like, fuck it. I don't care. Um, and I've been in emotional places where I've known the results wouldn't be good, but I don't really care at the moment about what the results are. Mm. Not necessarily. So yeah, I, I don't love that definition of insanity. I think, in general, people have this view of trying to oversimplify really complex things, you know, because <laughs> it makes for good sound bites and makes for good cliches. And well, and we talk about uh, you know our society's ideas. We're very top-down people from the head down, and so we just ignore all the bodily sensations and reactions. And I think you're kind of touching on some of this talking well so you talked about the idea of like what have you been doing in your recovery that hasn't been working and that you keep relapsing and how can we do something different but i'm not always sure that something different is the solution hmm. right so that's i think where i was going with the whole idea of this insanity yeah. like maybe it's not that you need to change it maybe we just need to keep working with it right well we had some success you got 30 days and then you went back out so let's look at some of the things that you feel like helped um, maybe you do get in a relationship and keep going back out, but that still might not mean that you need to change that. And I'm not a proponent. Look, if you feel you need to change it and you feel capable of changing it, go for it. Right. But that might not be the reason that you're, you're using, right. It might be like, oh, uh, I just feel dysregulated after a certain amount of time being around here without the use of anything to help me feel regulated. Like, And yeah, the, the girl helps me feel regulated enough to last 30 days, whereas I'd only last eight if it wasn't for having a partner, right? Well, maybe the insanity is keep coming back to N.A. and thinking that's going to work for you. <laughs> like, it, it might be. You know? It might be. It's just really interesting. I, I, I don't know. Um. The idea of asking a sponsee, like, what have you been doing that hasn't been working? And I feel like I run into this in therapy a lot of times. People who are very dysregulated don't really have touch with their body or their memory, right? Like, I'll ask, well, how are you feeling? Well, what do you feel like such puts you there? And, and when we look at that polyvagal theory episode, this idea that it's all subconscious, it's all below the level of actually knowing or awareness, hmm. we don't know. 
And, and so it becomes a, a period of like getting people regulated to be able to look and say, oh, now I know what gets me dysregulated because now that I'm regulated, I'm able to kind of have this prefrontal cortex online to see it happen and I'm looking for it. But like just asking somebody, like I ask people all the time, well, where'd that go wrong? Or, you know, what happened there? I don't know. Like right. it's always, I don't know. And I'm like, right. well, of course you don't know. Right. And you talked about this, this feelings reaction. I think that's more to the point, right? I didn't, I went to court one time and they were like, look, I, I felt like I, I could have got all the charges dismissed if I went to trial. Like, I felt like I had the right evidence in my corner and all that. But that would have meant like I had like $45 in my pocket and I was ready to go get high now. I was ready to leave court and go. And I felt like to take it to trial would have extended that whole process. And, mm -hmm. I, and I knew that was the right thing to do. And I knew except in a probation before judgment, I was going to fuck it up because I wasn't <laughs> stopping. I was going to piss dirty and all that. Right. It had nothing to do with what I knew in that moment. You said reacting to feelings. I say reacting to a state of dysregulation. Like I was dysregulated and I needed to get regulated and feel safe at all fucking costs. It didn't matter what came down the line. So it wasn't like I didn't know. It was just knowing didn't matter. It had nothing to do with that. Yeah. And that's sort of similar to, I had a previous sponsor that would say a lot of times and I, kind of get this a little more now than when he would say it before but he said if i come into a room or a meeting and i say i know what i need to do but i'm not doing it that means i don't know what the fuck i need to do mm. you know what i mean like because i'm not doing it that means i think i should be doing this but if i'm not doing it then i don't know that you know and it was i guess where i was going with that was i have come to the personal conclusion that you can tell people to do stuff till you're blue in the face, but until they sort of want to do it for themselves, it doesn't always work. You know, like you need them to kind of either buy in or be on board or, or have some input and say. And I've noticed at least for myself early on as a sponsor, you know, people would come in and it would be, here's what you need to do. And if you do these steps, everything's going to be okay. And you got to go to this many meetings and you got to get a home group and get in service and blah, 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 blah. And I don't know that that's the same for every person. You know, right. some of those people might've done those things and then developed a resentment because they had a wife and kids at home and their life was different and mm. they had different pressures and circumstances that I didn't understand. <laughs> um, for me that worked but i also had a spouse that was in recovery that bought into all those ideas mm. so i got less resistance at home to be out at meetings and on service commitments four and five days a week when right. we had young kids uh, you know so to to say you need to do this as a blanket statement without talking to individuals and saying okay well what's what feels like it'll work for you like what are you willing mm. to do what's what's good for you and then help you figure out you know, all right, well, maybe, you know, a meeting every once a month is not so good. Maybe you can up that a little bit, but, you know, maybe five a week isn't so good either. <laughs> you know, trying to get them to buy into the process and have some yeah. say over what's going to work for them. I don't remember specifically saying this, but I can almost guarantee that I've told sponsees they're not hitting enough meetings at different points in time. Oh, I'm sure I've said that. And I remember too. having a sponsee later on uh, after doing some therapy and stuff. And he, he was coming to the home group and he's like, dude, this is really like all I hit is like the home group every week. And I said, well, 
look at your life. You have a wife and two kids. They're people that you haven't been around while you're using like your situation. You're not walking in the door in a recovery house with no kids, no partner, no nothing like, and no responsibilities. You're walking in the door with going to work every day, trying to be home for your family. Like you need to do what's right for you. One meeting a week might be that, right? If you're doing a meeting a week, you're calling me like looking at it more as an individual situation, like you were just talking about. And I remember feeling good about that change in, I guess, heart or thinking for me that like, I don't need to tell people how many fucking meetings they need to hit. Like I need to pump people up to feel good about themselves. I'm not trying to set them up for anything bad, but why are you going to feel guilty when you feel like you're doing the right thing? Why am I going to put guilt on you about it? And, and that's exactly, you know, what I was thinking when we're talking about that. I can remember being on the other side, like being the guy that has young kids and I'm only making it to my home group. And some weeks I'm not even making it there and I don't have a service commitment. Right. And I had, you know, whatever, 8, 10, 12 years clean and almost feeling guilty about that feeling like oh my gosh i don't have a service commitment i'm just kind of barely showing up for my home group like what the fuck kind of recovery person you know and like feeling bad about mm -hmm. myself for being a you know what i'm gonna call a good responsible parent you know and there is a, a good place in trying to balance that stuff out you know mm -hmm. what i mean it's it's for me it's not so healthy when I throw out recovery completely because then I become unhealthy. But at the same time, if I went to five meetings a week or had service commitments and all these other things, you know, that would take away from my ability to be the type of parent that I want to be. So like now in hindsight, I look back and I think we've talked about it on here. It's like when I look back over that period of my recovery where I wasn't so involved, like I don't feel guilty about it now. I look back and say, yeah, that was me being a productive person. And I should have been doing more to work on myself personally, but that doesn't necessarily mean going to meetings or being of service. Right. It means I should have not let go of some of the spiritual practices that helped me be a healthy person. You know, probably a meditation would have been good to have in my life at that time. Probably a connection with my sponsor, even just to talk and go get coffee and something to eat every couple of weeks to mm -hmm. check in. Like those things are still healthy practices, but it's like just doing those five, you know, I don't use, I go to meetings, I have a service commitment, I, you know, yeah, those things, you know, there's a, there's a real balance there that needs to happen. Well, and I think our recovery information gets limited originally by location, right? So yeah, when I got clean, it was hit a meeting, 90 meetings in 90 days, right? That was a big thing and you should be here all the time and blah, blah, blah. I still think that's a good idea. <laughs> well, yeah, but what if you live in an area where there's one meeting a week right. within a hundred miles? Right. Oh, yeah. What if you live in an area like we have that pamphlet, the loner staying clean in isolation? Like there's places where people get clean. There aren't any meetings. Yeah, we right? were in one in Utah. Maybe they have just pen pals. Maybe they're waiting on literal snail mail to come to their house right. in a response to, you know, what they've been going through. And they got to sit on that for two weeks till their sponsor writes them back. Right. Like we're looking at it from a very, oh, you live in an area with a bunch of meetings. You better hit 90 in 90 days. Like that's not the only way people recover. People recover in a myriad and multitude of ways that don't look anything like what we think recovery is, at least what I thought recovery was. 
And I just think that's fascinating. Like when we, our minds get open to this idea that like there's some fucking dude in some bumfuck Alaska County that doesn't have meetings at all. And just, yeah, when we were in Southern Utah, there was no, I mean the closest NA meeting to the area we were. And I, I mean, this literally was two and a half hours one way to get to the closest NA right. meeting. We started a meeting. We went to some meetings some AA, there was a few AA meetings, but there wasn't even seven a week within right. an hour drive. And even get to the one we started was like 45 minutes one way to get to a town with more than 50 people right. you know, that would, would have a meeting. And the meetings that we went to, even the, the AA meetings or the NA meetings, three people, five people yeah. were at the meeting. So we've been in those areas in those situations, and it definitely was eye-opening. We were also in parts of Montana where the same people did the AA meetings and the NA meetings. And they said, oh, yeah, we do. And they didn't have five meetings a week either. They had – I think they had like an NA meeting on Tuesday nights and an AA meeting on Thursday nights or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was basically the same people. And they're like, yeah, we just call it a different fellowship so that if people are traveling or looking or find the meeting that they find a meeting. But we're really just the recovery community. And they – I don't know that looked at either fellowship – particularly different you know like we do in this area right. i mean in in this particular area it's like we're almost i don't want to say enemies but it's like we're almost we're frenemies completely separate <laughs> yeah it's like that's a whole other thing over there you want to go be with those people mm -hmm. you know or we're these people and, and it's just a little different to see and go to an area where there's such limited resources and people are totally open to like yeah i don't give a fucking alcoholic addict we don't give a shit what you call yeah. yourself we're having a meeting this night. We're having a meeting this night. We use this literature for this one and this for this one. And we're all just trying to get clean and get better. <laughs> but but the idea that people find recovery in all kinds of like people find recovery in, you know, countries where you're not even allowed to have recovery and they find ways to reach out online and just talk to yeah. people through messages and, and find like yeah, that's one thing online is amazing. It really has it, opened up some connections. It is. It's but it's just mind blowing to think that here I am shaming people that you can't stay clean going to one meeting a week. And like <laughs> right. people get right. recovery all kinds of different ways. And I'm, you know, basing it on a very small one little perspective of that. Um I definitely believed I was like an NA police at one point in time because when I came around, that's what the people, like I said, above me, quotes, uh, were. But I, I guess I held to this idea that NA needed to be protected, like the sanctity of the meeting needed to be protected. Oh, yeah, and if we didn't follow traditions too. or yeah. do it the right way, it was going to, people were going to die. And like, I don't believe that shit anymore at all. And I would say for myself, I maybe it's just the, the mentality that you have or who you gravitate towards. I think that happens in recovery because I have always been more of an anti-authoritarian type of person. Like I, I've never been drawn to people that tell me what I need to do. Like right. that is very off-putting for me. So I didn't have as much of those influences in my life, but I definitely know there's some of those personalities I could you know, tell you who they are, but I wasn't drawn towards them. I was typically drawn or, or more, uh, open to the ideas of people that are a little more open-minded, a little less authoritarian. Right. I just, I guess my belief now is that like, you know, an NA meeting will be fine. Right. <laughs> I, I don't need to interfere. I don't need to say anything. I don't need to do nothing. Like it will be just fine. It's exactly what it needs to be. Right. And, and it's, 
I'm going to say I struggle saying this a little bit, but I get the idea and the premise, and I do believe this a lot. It's like the the same people that will try to police the meetings are also the ones that will tell you that, you know, God's in charge and that he's, a, you know, and it's like, all right, well, God's got it. Why don't you fucking take a seat, you know, and right. shut your mouth and let him handle it. <laughs> you know, like if there's a higher power in charge that works through these meetings, you know, did he give you the stick and tell you to go? Right, right. <laughs> fix this well, he works through what? people. Right. <laughs> Uh, another belief I used to have that everything in the literature is right slash true. I don't I don't know how to say that, but it used to be like if it's in the literature, it's it's gospel or it's fact or I don't believe that anymore. Like I've definitely heard some people say over the years, like this is a literature written by a bunch of addicts. Like it's flawed, and I've found some contradictions of itself in it. So I, it's hard for me to just say, oh yeah, it's perfect, and if it's in there, it's right. Like I don't know. Or is it just my interpretation of how it was written at that time? Because I can read something now and tell you that I can hear it and interpret it in a very different way than I heard it with a year or two years clean. You know, now that I have a much deeper understanding of principles and applications, not that it, you know, I don't know that I hold it to be gospel true or is anything in life really 100% true for 100% of the situations all the time? No, you know what I mean? Just There's never a, this is what's going to be all the time in every situation, in everyone's life, in every instance, this is what's going to happen if you're not uh, honest. Like, right. no, that's just not reality. <laughs> uh, the idea of having to hit a bottom to be ready or something, I don't know that I totally buy into that anymore like oh he went back out i guess he just hit hit his bottom like uh i don't know like i think you when you find a path that's acceptable for your body to be regulated that's when you get it hmm. <laughs> i don't know when that is i don't know if there's some bottom involved but that's how i see it well and i guess from the I, i'm gonna use the word technical standpoint it's like when i stopped and got clean and since I stayed clean this time, that was my bottom, like as a technicality. I don't know if that was yeah. my bottom or not because I didn't go use it anymore. Maybe I went and used and it got better. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Right. I really can't say. I mean, I don't think that would have happened, but it could have. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. weird. And I only ever was turned on to that even concept of not having a bottom because of this doing this podcast. I mean, this has been one of the most eye-opening experiences doing this and talking to people outside of, you know, my immediate whatever what do they call that like my bubble of influence that was yeah. just really this one 12 step fellowship yeah. and even though we have a, a you know varied ideas and opinions within that fellowship there are still certain ideas and structures that are there that are in our core and until i looked outside of that and became a little more open minded to talk to different people like some of these ideas harm reduction ideas you know that was a big one for me it's like oh it's just it's just using it's keeping people slaves to <laughs> drugs from the legal drug dealers and, yeah. and that kind of stuff and then hearing some educated and informed people explain that in a different way be like hmm wow okay i get where you're coming from i don't necessarily have to like it doesn't matter if i agree or disagree with that process it's just I don't need to have such a negative opinion of suffering addicts. <laughs> like, right. You know, these people that are fucking suffering. Uh, another one that you either 
are an addict or you aren't. But if you are, you are for life. Like, this is a weird concept to me. Wow. Like, this idea that, you know, oh, well, people, it's almost like we find ways to explain away when people do things contrary to our belief system and they, yeah, it they're works not an out. Right, right. <laughs> oh, they, they, they stopped coming to meetings and, and they did all right and were successful in life and didn't go back to using crazy. They just weren't an addict to begin with. The story's not all written. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've been not here for 15 years and their life's going pretty good. You don't know. Right, right. <laughs> Give them another 10. Give them another 10 years. Wait till they retire. It'll yeah, be all different. Though. And that's interesting. I had never really thought much about that you know, in that way. But I would say, yeah, I a hundred percent believe that you are either an addict or not an addict. And I don't believe that anymore. I don't either. And I'm also really, and I don't know this, don't go out on this information thinking you're doing the right thing. But something I'm really examining in my life is, am I an addict because of genetics? And I was just born this way or my circumstances in childhood led to this. Yeah. I, I do believe all that is a part of why I got into drug use. I also don't know that there's not some healing that can happen. Like, I don't think addiction is just something that happens. I think it's a response to how I feel internally. And I think kind of like through the character defect view of like, once I can heal some of these parts of myself, I don't need to act on some of these character defects to feel whole because I'm not empty. Right. I kind of, I don't want to say that that means I can go out and successfully use drugs. Like, I don't think if I shot heroin today, things would be any better for me than they were when I shot heroin before. But I do think there's a, like people who end up being able to go out and socially drink again after finding some healing through recovery or whatever. I think that's a thing. I, I, not to say that that's a thing I want because I don't personally like alcohol anyway, but I do think that's a thing. I, I think people can heal to a point where, they don't feel the need to obsessively use certain substances all the time. So I want to reach out to a fellowship, and I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but we looked into it once before, and it is a fellowship about moderation. It's not called oh, Moderation. I think honest. it's called Moderation Management or something Something like that. Like that. Yeah. yeah. And and they, like, that was their premise, was like, look, we don't necessarily think that recovery from addiction is based in abstinence Mm. like we believe that we get together and we have this program where we teach people to you know manage their using Mm. or at least you know find a healthy balance with those things and we have these points of accountability um i believe if i'm not mistaken that smart recovery isn't necessarily abstinence based that it's more of a management of your life type of thing and I would not have agreed with that early on in recovery. I definitely think there are those things now. But I also know people that I would say that I believe are addicts, you know, the quote-unquote addicts, that their life is not totally unmanageable, that they might be addicts, but they're managing their life okay in a way that it's not a fucking train wreck like mine, you know? <laughs> like, And these are people that I, I mean, I, I can't, say that I intimately know their feelings and emotions. I'm not in like a therapy session with them. They're not people that I'm overly intimately close with, um, that I can talk deeply about their feelings. But when you look from the outside, like they're living life, they seem to be having fun. They seem to be managing a job and raising children and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet they just use all the time, you know, and (laughs) 
I mean, it's not a life that I want for myself, but it also, I don't have to look at them with like, well, they're fucking addicts and they're destroying their lives. I don't know that that's true. Maybe they're living the best version of themselves in that space. I don't, you know, who the fuck am I to make that judgment? Um, but I remember meeting a, it was one of my friend's moms and she was one of those excessively clean people. And when I say excessively clean people, like when you went into her fucking house, not a thing was out of place, not a cat hair on the fucking furniture. Like, and if you were there and when you used anything or, or put a thing on the table, it was fucking pledge. Like it was obsessive, her level of cleaning. Um, and I would say, like, I was like, that's an addict who doesn't use drugs. <laughs> but I don't know that it was making her life completely unmanageable. You know, right. she just seemed to be getting on okay. She liked having a clean fucking house. Who am I to make judgments on her and be like, you need a program? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you need to fix that shit. So interestingly, and, and here's something that I find fascinating for my own brain. You mentioned that moderation management. And the first thought that came up for me was like, Oh my God, no, you can't go straight from using all the time to moderating immediately. You need a space where there's abstinence to heal first. And look, I'll probably change that motherfucking opinion in five years. Like that's, what am I basing that in? Nothing. Just my. And that's what I've learned for myself. I make a lot of opinions based on, and they're, I'm going to say educated opinions. It's not, I'm not a dummy. And I try to really read and research and watch and observe and, you know, I'm trying to give myself the best possible information so that I can have the best outcomes. And I don't generally have malice in my heart. I'm not trying to steer people wrong or, or whatever. I'm trying to live the best version of my life that I can. And I consider myself a pretty generous or giving person. I want other people to have that too. So a lot of times when I say this stuff that now I wouldn't say, it's with good intentions but that's where I need to be the most careful. Right. Um, I thought recently a little bit about this. Like early in recovery, I used to sort of grab these beliefs, ideas, thoughts. And it was like they were written on me like I was a piece of granite. And they were etched into my chest. And that was like my identity and who I was. And so I had to defend these ideas and be rigorous, um, you know, touter of my righteousness and nowadays in my life, I look at it more as like a like a chalkboard with a complicated math problem, like a big, you know, trigonometry problem or, you know, physics problem written all out on a board. And I constantly need to be looking at it for errors and flaws so that I can erase this piece and put in a new piece mm. or erase it and start over. And I'm not so married to my ideas, thoughts and beliefs today because I recognize like there might be a fucking flaw there somewhere that I'm just not seeing that it takes another person to walk in and go, Hey, have you thought about this? Or have right. you looked at it that way? And then go, huh? Yeah. That's, that seems to make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple more here to wrap up the two sickies don't make a welly or two <laughs> dead batteries don't make a spark, right? This idea <laughs> that if you get in relationships as newcomers, it's not going to work out. And I, just from my own personal life, I know at least two people who have, you know, quote unquote, 13th stepped a newcomer. And that has at least so far, you know, uh, one's 20 years in, the other one's 
10 years in that's worked out well for them they have nice families they're very happy and i know another situation of people who have like 25 years clean and married like they got together early on and have been together ever since and it's been just fine so not a rehab romance that's worked out and they're still married (laughs) so and not and not to say that like it's a good idea i don't want to sit here and say everybody should go do it but just the idea that it could never be a thing or never work out i don't believe that at all like let's wait and see i don't know well and for me, so being, I think, one of these people that you're talking about in the 13th stepping thing, I don't know yeah. if I was counted in Yeah, that. you're in there. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I got with my wife. She had 11 years clean, and I had just gotten clean a few months. And uh, thank God I didn't have a sponsor that said, oh, don't do that and all that stuff. He was like, no, it doesn't say that anywhere in our literature. What it says is that relationships can be a particularly difficult area. Um, Some things you really need to make sure that you're keeping focused on yourself and your recovery. Mm -hmm. Don't get lost in your relationship. You know, make sure these commitments that you have for your home group and your service commitments, like those things need to be a priority. But, you know, and, and for me, that was good advice you know i took his advice and and followed those things and it worked out well i will say in in general if i was a betting man (laughs) i'm usually not gonna bet on those things to work out but in fairness what are we 50 percent divorce rate in this country anyway if not higher so relationships you know you're a 50 50 chance with quote unquote normal people when you start throwing addicts into it i don't know that the amount of clean time leads to greater success other than maybe you've done some work on your relationship skills well that's 50 50 for divorces if you i don't know anybody that's for unhappy only been in one relationship yeah so for everybody that's been in more than one relationship your failure rate is way higher yeah (laughs) or Maybe you're still in marriages for kids or finances or other reasons that you're not even happy. Uh, A drug is a drug. I don't know that I believe that anymore. I I think there's different classes of drugs and they do different things. I, you know, I held on to that idea early on and and I tamped it down because everybody around me said it was crazy. But this idea of like, well, mushrooms never fucked me up. Like, and I don't know that using mushrooms early in my recovery would have been a good idea. (laughs) Like it probably would have led me back somewhere else, but I'm definitely a lot more open to the idea that a drug is not a drug anymore to me. There's different, like, and even if I want to look at caffeine or nicotine or whatever, like there's different purposes for all these drugs and they do different things. And that doesn't mean I need necessarily need to run out and do any of them right this minute. But I, like, if I was to consider something positive in my life, if I said, man, maybe going on one of these ayahuasca trips to South America or something might be like a real spiritual experience. I would not say, dude, you know what? We should go to the Middle East and get black tar heroin. That would be a really spiritual experience. Yeah. Like those are two completely different concepts to me. And I just don't see them as equal drugs or or the same thing or yeah and i and i guess i always heard that statement a little different um i kind of always heard it from the perspective of uh and i think it's in one of the na pamphlets it talks about like our bodies don't know the difference like if i go to a doctor because i broke my wrist and get pain meds my body doesn't really know a difference between right. that and me doing heroin like those are similar classes of drugs so and i guess that's the way i had always heard mm. that statement so i see what you're saying i just never really thought much of it i always looked at that statement as being more like 
If I do a drug, it doesn't matter if it comes from a doctor, if it comes from the street, if it comes from a psychiatrist. Like, I got to fucking watch out because my body is going to treat it the same. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I just, I guess I'm looking at the actual drugs themselves and I'm like, I, yeah, there's no way that a Friday night crack smoking binge sounds like a great idea yeah, for right. my life. But like some of these other things, maybe, maybe one day it's something I do explore. I, I'm still struggling with the idea and I hear people say this and I don't, I can't bring myself to be a little more open on this but that there is like healthy crack smokers or healthy heroin users like some. that is uh, and i yeah i'm not gonna sit here and say they don't exist i'm just that's a stretch if, if <laughs> you're me, using crack, try to believe right. that. <laughs> like, if you're setting aside 500 dollars and smoking crack one night a month and having right. a good time and stopping when your money's done all right Call us because I want to have. If your you are here. socially using heroin, please yeah. let me know. <laughs> maybe yeah. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the last one I had really because uh, we're a little over time here. Egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I have said this so many goddamn times, and I look at this today and I say that is the most shaming like uh, put down description of myself. Like, why would I say that? Right? It, it's not. Does it kind of present like that? Yeah, I could get it. And if you're kindly telling me that it looks sort of like that's what's going on, sure, maybe. But th really, it's like I fucking hate myself and I'm doing anything possible. My body's response to that is to try to feel better by by building myself up in some kind of way, right. even if it's irrationally building myself up to be better than other people. Like it's it's trying to find homeostasis, right? I feel so much worse than people that I'm. Why don't I just have compassion for how much worse I feel than everybody, right? I don't need to sit around and label myself with these judgmental terms of like egomaniac with the inferiority. Com I don't know. I really have changed on that one. What do you think? Yeah, I, I probably, if I haven't recently used that particular statement, I definitely know that I have shared that sentiment. Um, yeah, I don't know. I still, I, and I don't know. I guess shaming language in general is something I'm still trying to become aware of. I I have that very sarcastic, uh, what's that, self-deprecating mm -hmm. type of humor and then self-deprecating talk to myself, mm. um, which I have learning isn't healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try to convince myself that it's motivating, but right. I don't know that it is. So I still struggle with that even you know for myself and then of course if i talk to myself that way i'm totally willing to talk to other people that way think of it like a turtle that gets scared right and goes in its shell you don't pick it up and shake it around you don't bang on it with a stick you don't like look inside the hole and yell at it like none of that's going to make it come out of its shell right right calmly waiting patiently creating a safe environment around it then it pokes its head back out. You don't beat a turtle into feeling <laughs> right. safer. So don't beat right. yourself into feeling better. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's about it. You got anything else? No. Like say thanks to like recovery in this podcast and, and talking with different people. Like I'm really glad that I have opened my mind to be a more loving, caring person. Um, one of the things I thought recently, and this is a recovery thing, that I think I used to believe that I don't think now is there was a difference between addicts that were out on the street using and addicts that were in meetings seeking mm. recovery. I used to look at those as two very different people. And mm. nowadays I don't. We're the same people. Mm. They're just people that are still suffering and haven't figured out a way out. 
you know, and I'm a person over here that hopefully can love them in instead of shaming them out. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to end. Keep your minds open. Have a great week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>